Welcome and thank you so very much for joining us on today's segment of Making a Difference Through Mentorship, where we believe you make a difference one life at a time. In Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9, God says to us, your thoughts are not my thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This doesn't mean that we don't ever think like God thinks, but the aim and focus of these podcasts is to learn to think more like God thinks so that our ways are more like God's ways. Proverbs 23 and 7 reminds us, for as a man or woman thinks in his heart, that's who we really are. The heart is synonymous with the mind in both the Old Testament and New Testament cultures. So when the writer of Proverbs 23 and 7 states for us that as a man or woman thinks in his heart, he was thinking about, again, how he thinks. Our thought life, the way that we think, is an inseparable component of our existence. Neuroscientists and neuropsychologists tell us that we have anywhere from 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day, and half of those thoughts are negative. And it's important to know you don't have to be a negative person to have negative thoughts. Negative experiences with people on the job, even negative experiences with family members will always produce negative thoughts. And it's important, again, to know you don't have to be a negative person to have negative thoughts. As powerful as our thoughts are to change our lives includes changing our thinking, which can be extremely difficult. Our lives move in the direction of our thoughts like a current in a river, moving us either closer or farther away from becoming the best version of you that God designed and desired you to be. If you want to change your life, you and I must begin by changing our thoughts. Therefore, the title or theme of today's podcast is You Are What You Think. So Paul says in Philippians 2 and 5 in the New Century Version, in your lives, you must think and act like Christ Jesus. Jesus is the model, the example, and pattern for our minds, the way that we are to think. The King James Version of Philippians 2 and 5 says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Let this mind be in you means literally keep thinking this, keep thinking this, keep thinking what? The mind of Christ. Well, how do we have the mind of Christ? It is his word that we've hid in our hearts that we might not sin against him. So in the King James Version, let this mind, allow the mind of Christ to be in you, to be in me, or keep thinking this. That is constantly maintain this attitude within yourself. The mind or attitude the Philippians are to to maintain is spelled out in verses two and five, which constitutes harmonious living and not chaotic living. In the New International Version of Philippians two, verses two through five, Paul says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, If any tenderness and compassion, verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Whose mind? Like Christ. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, 
value others above yourselves. Verse four, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. Relationships can be defined as simply relate to me on my ship. If you're going one direction and I'm going another direction, it will be challenging for either one of us to be able to relate to one another. Another tributary of making a difference through mentorship is our model of ethnos leadership. There are three components to the model. Purposeful relationships that are valued, trusted, and respected that creates a bridge to authentic accountability, which is reliable, dependable, and affirmational that carries us to the third component, which is my professional responsibility to mentor, to be a model, to uh, encourage and develop those that I have the privilege to be able to lead or have a relationship with emotionally, socially, spiritually, and physically. And because we have established these purposeful relationships, many people don't know that they are valued. But when you and I establish the fact, first of all, through an intentional, purposeful relationship, then we can further establish the fact that I value this person. And if a person knows that you value them, they will trust you and they will respect you. And so in order to have these types of relationships that Paul was talking about in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, that's a purposeful relationship that's valued, trusted, and respected. And you never know what a person has gone through since the last time you have seen them or even as you may see them now. So Paul says in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. In our lives, we must think and act like Jesus Christ. Keep thinking day in and day out moment by moment, experience by experience, keep acting like Jesus Christ. Because as ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the solution to somebody's problem and the answer to somebody's prayer. You are what you think. And so in Psalm 139 verses 15 through 18, David in the Living Bible expounds upon a revelation of how he saw God made him created him, which further grants David understanding of his identity or who he truly is. David speaking of God in Psalm 139, beginning at the 15th verse in the Living Bible says, you were there while I was being formed in utter seclusion. Verse 16, David says, you saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. Verse 17 how precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still thinking of me. When we understand how God thinks about us, it creates a bridge for us to change the way that we think about ourselves. When you know that God is constantly thinking about you because he knows the plans 
that he has for you, it creates a mindset of recognizing and understanding that you have the identity of a designer original. There's nobody like you anywhere in the world. With all of your God-given talents, gifts, and assignments that he's placed inside of you while he was forming you in utter seclusion in your mother's womb. He birthed you and I into the world of this season and time of mankind's existence. And God scheduled each day of my life and your life before we began to breathe. Every day of our lives was recorded in his book. In Psalm 73, Asaph, a Levite, a Levite, one of three music directors David appointed for service in the temple, was a powerful believer in God. A man that lived a godly life, but he became perplexed with the seeming contradictions of life. Asaph was struggling with the suffering of the righteous and the prosperity of the wicked. He was determined to stand on the clear teaching of God's word. Overwhelmed by everything he experienced and expressed in this psalm, in verse 16, Asaph admits that his thoughts were causing him pain. Those negative thoughts were causing him pain. But in verse 17, the Bible says, when Asaph went into the sanctuary, came into the house of the Lord, that's when he understood. And he declares in the 24th and 26th verses in the Amplified Version, speaking of God, you will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to honor and glory. Verse 25, whom have I in heaven but you? And I have no delight or desire on earth besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the rock and firm strength of my heart and my portion forever. Asaph concluded this psalm with thoughts about his present and future position with the Lord. Even during his time of confusion and consternation, the perplexity concerning the righteous and the wicked that he discusses earlier in the chapter, Asaph realized that God was with him. The Bible says in Romans 8 and 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? There may have been seasons in your life where your thoughts caused you pain, just as they did with Asaph, or the thoughts that you currently have may be causing you pain. But when Asaph got into the house of the Lord, that is where his understanding came from in the house of the Lord, receiving the word of the Lord. No matter what the difficulty, hardship, frustration, or irritation may be, with God on our side, in the end, we always win. No matter what, in the end, we always win. Because if God be for us, he's more than the whole world against us. You are what you think. To always win in the matters of life and ministry, we need to follow the strategy. And the strategy is always God's word. Therefore, Proverbs 2, beginning at the third verse, uh, the writer says, Solomon says, If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, verse 4, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. When we try to live apart from the counsel of God's wisdom, we potentially face fear, doubt, worry, frustration, irritation, and vexation of our minds. Our lives fall apart when we do not involve God's insight for oversight in all of our daily decisions or who we are in the earth. Many believers never find wisdom because they do not obey the conditions for doing so. Finding God's wisdom requires that a decision be made. And in turn, that decision requires that a commitment be made. 
a strong personal commitment to the process where it doesn't matter who it associates me with or separates me from. I'm going with the Lord. Acquiring wisdom is a process, not a one-time procedure. It is a lifetime process coupled with the fear of the Lord, the reverence of the Lord. This knowledge means that the believer is after or in pursuit of the hidden treasures of God's mind and will follow God's moral code. For to know God is to react ethically to his will, to follow his principles and his precepts. God is poised and positioned to download his thoughts, his answers, his solutions and ideas and to pass them through our minds and thoughts to benefit the world. The question is, are we ready for God to download his thoughts, his answers, his solutions and ideas? Can God pass his mind through our minds and thoughts to benefit the world? This is the knowledge of God that if we seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, we obtain the wisdom of God, which is the knowledge of God applied. Hundreds of years later, Paul picks up this same theme in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning at the 7th verse. In the New International Version, Paul makes this declaration, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Verse 8, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. When we think that we must be strong and capable in order to serve God, we miss the point of Paul's preaching in this passage. We are like jars of clay common, weak, imperfect, and valued by what we contain or what's on the inside of us. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory that makes us valuable to the mind and the will of God. When the Lord accomplishes his will through us, he does so in a manner that is far above and beyond our human ability so that others will have the scales removed from their eyes and see and believe the power of God for themselves. It was Zechariah that said, it's not by might, nor by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. In verses 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul gives us four examples or metaphors to show that his weaknesses did not cripple him, but actually strengthened him. Paul later backs up this reality in his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at the seventh verse, Paul says in the New International Version, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. You know the rest of the story. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. Verse nine, but he said to me, God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is the power and equipment for ministry. My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. So the question becomes for you and I is not am I strong enough but am I weak enough for God to use me so that his power may rest on you and me, covering us like a tent? The word rest, it actually carries the meaning of a tent that covers an item, that covers us. 
when I think and know I'm covered by God's power, I'm covered by the power of his name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. When we're covered by God's power, his power is operating in us and through us. You are what you think. The apostle John, hearing the voice of Jesus in Revelation 21 and 3, John says, and I heard. You got to be able to hear what the spirit is saying. John said, and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be with them and be their God. The word tabernacle means place of meeting, the place where God dwells, where God's presence and power abides, the potential for signs, wonders, and miracles reside. And this power does not originate in the cleverness or strength of you or I, but the power to prevail in all things, not just some things, is in the Lord Jesus Christ, who has deputized and authorized us to be used by him in the earth. Therefore, Jesus said in John 15 and 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you because the Lord chose us. He does not want any of us to lead unproductive or unfocused lives. He chose us not only for salvation to be saved, but also to play a significant role in his kingdom. He wants each one of us to fulfill the particular purpose he created us for that begins with being conduits of his love, his joy, his peace, his long suffering, his gentleness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his meekness, and his temperance, which is self-control. This is the fruit that will last, the fruit of the spirit. Dion Warwick, cousin of Whitney Houston, sang a song back in the mid-60s. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's the only thing that they're just too little of. And I remember a song, and I know many of you do as well, when nothing else could help, it will always be love that will lift somebody up. This is what God wants to see in us. Because when he sees his love in us, he sees the reflection of himself because the Bible says that God is love. When we think about God's love and purpose to practice God's love in our workplace, in our families, in our communities, wherever we go, we become examples of as mentors, models, and motivators of God's love. You are what you think. So in the Living Bible version of Ezekiel chapter 36, beginning at the 26th verse, God says, and I will give you a new heart. I will give you new and right desires and put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony hearts of sin and give you new hearts of love. Verse 27, and I will put my spirit within you so that you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. Paul picks up this mindset of Ezekiel in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, beginning at the first verse. In the Amplified Version, Paul further expounds upon his new heart and right desires as he describes this new season in his life. Paul says in the Amplified Version, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, I appeal to you and beg you to walk 
lead a life worthy of the divine calling to which you have been called with behavior that is a credit to the summons to God's service, living as becomes you with complete lowliness of mind, humility, and meekness, which is unselfishness, gentleness, mildness, with patience, bearing with one another, and making allowances because you love one another. The dictionary defines a prisoner as one who is under the control of someone else. Here in Ephesians 4 and 1, the term prisoner means a person who has been arrested and is being held in custody. In an effort to describe the call of God that was on his life, Paul says to the church at Philippi in the third chapter, I'm seeking to apprehend that which I've been apprehended by in Christ Jesus. He further states in the 13th verse, Brethren, I count myself not to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before. As God's prisoner, as God's servant and slave, one that has been arrested and in custody of the Lord. And we don't like that word slave, but in that era, the term servant was also, it was translated as a slave. As God's servant and slaves, one that has been arrested in the custody of the Lord, you and I have no rights of our own. And sometimes in serving in serving the Lord, there will be some necessary storms. The story is told of a young lady who was driving along the interstate with her father. As they were driving, they suddenly found themselves in a storm. And the young lady asked her father, what should I do? The father said, keep driving. As the young lady continued to drive, cars began to pull over to the side of the road as the storm got worse. She once again asked her father, what should I do? Her father replied, keep driving. As the young lady continued to drive further up the road, she noticed that 18-wheel trucks, 18-wheelers were also pulling over. The young lady said to her father rather nervously, I must pull over. I can barely see ahead. It's, it's terrible and everybody else is pulling over. Her father told her, don't give up. Just keep driving. The storm continued to intensify, but she never stopped driving. And soon she could see a little more clearly. After a couple more miles, she had driven through the storm and the sun came out. Her father now said, now you can pull over and get out. The young lady asked, but why now? He said, because now that you are through the storm, you can get out and look back and see where you've come from. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 9 and 11 that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. Jesus says in the New Century Version of Matthew 24 and 13, but those people who keep their faith until the end will be saved. To be saved also means to rescue or to escape. Just as the young lady, as she was driving down the highway, endured her storm, uncertain as to whether or not she could go on. But the father encouraged her to never give up. Just keep driving, keep moving, and you'll see the storm begin to clear. It is that kind of faith that empowers our endurance. Never give up because God never gives up on us and will always see us through. So David says, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. What you are enduring or going through may feel like the valley of the shadow of death, but you're not 
living there. You're not staying there. We don't have to fear those moments in life. We don't have to fear the storms. We don't have to fear the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, because the Lord is always with us. His rod and staff comfort me. His rod symbolizing his protection, his staff symbolizing his direction. Our lives move in the direction of our thoughts. When we know that the Lord is always on our side and he's always with us, our thought life can change to think like God thinks. Our lives move in the direction of our thoughts like a current in a river, moving us either closer or farther away from becoming the best version of you that God has designed and desired you to be. If you want to change your life, you and I must begin by changing our thoughts. So David said in Psalm 139, before we were born, before we took our first breath, God scheduled every day of our lives. How precious it is, Lord, to realize that you are thinking about me constantly. I can't even count how many times a day your thoughts turn towards me. And when I wake up in the morning, you are still thinking of me. When we understand how God thinks about us, it creates a bridge or or for us to change the way that we think about ourselves. God is always thinking about us. There is never a time, there's never a circumstance or situation where we are not on God's mind. And when you know that God is thinking constantly about you because he knows the plans that he has for you, it creates a mindset of recognizing and understanding that I am a designer original. There's nobody like me anywhere in the world. And if I have to go through this storm, I'm going to keep driving. I'm going to keep moving because I know that as I keep moving in the Lord, the sun, the S-O-N, is going to shine in my life and bring me through. And so as we close today's podcast, it was Henry Ford that once stated, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. All things are possible if you only believe you are what you think.